today's episode of Recovering Church Girls, we meet Sophia Bramolde, also known as Lobster Bird. Hi, I'm your host, Tanya Adlita. And in this conversation with Sophia, one of the first things we talk about is this idea of coming back to where it all started. And for recovering church girls like you and me, we know a bit about this, the idea of the foundation having to go away to explore, to learn, to try new things, and then come back again and evaluate what still resonates and maybe what doesn't, what no longer serves us, and then what do we do in that process? So I invite you to jump right into this conversation with Sophia. I can almost guarantee, even if you're not a big traveler, even if there's something that doesn't appeal to you, I think there's going to be something in it for you as well. Enjoy. Welcome back to Recovering Church Girls. I'm your host, Tanya Adlita, and I have with me Sophia Bramolde, also known as Lobster Bird, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. So first of all, hi, Sophia. Hi, Tanya. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Oh my goodness. It's my pleasure. And we've been trying to connect literally across oceans, across countries, across time zones. So the idea that we're able to do so today just makes me all the more excited for this conversation. Me too. (laughs) We did the work to get here. Before we started talking, just this idea of saying like, okay, well, how are you? And then especially, you know, with the idea of the travelers uh, that we both are, you more so than me, where are you is the next question. And I love what you mentioned, this idea of ironically enough, I'm back where it all started. Tell me a little bit about what that experience is like for you now, uh, after having been the, the pilgrim's pilgrimage leader and experiencer of being across the world in this pursuit. And then now you're home for a minute, but what is that like for you? Ooh, it's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I often talk about pilgrimage. Um, So for those that don't know, I lead pilgrimages around the world. Um, They're designed for spiritual people like us, particularly spiritual women and creative women uh, to come and to really understand their soul's purpose on this planet and how to fulfill it. So I've been doing that for, I mean, I've been traveling myself full time for the past five years, uh, which is a long time, but I feel, I often refer to pilgrimage as the hero's journey. And so I feel like right now I've been on a very, very long stint of traveling a lot and not really staying in one place for a very long time. And I've come back here for about a month to visit my parents. And I really feel like it's, you know, the hero's journey, return home. You know, you return with all the things that you found along the journey, right? Hopefully with some heightened point of view or some gift to give. Um, But it's really interesting because I'm here uh, with my parents and with my family and with my cats who have (laughs) stayed behind on the journey. Um, And it's been really, actually a lot has been coming up. Um, I was just saying, I feel like I'm actually in this healing vortex. And so it's really appropriate we're having this conversation because, you know, the work I do now is so geared for each person really to understand their own spiritual path and their own connection with the divine. And here I am back in the place where I started to understand that, but more so I found something kind of to rail against. And I'm kind of laughing inside as I'm talking to you because I see Jesus. Um, and I just noticed that he's hanging out here. Still. Oh, that's hysterical! I didn't even notice. My my eyes first went to the map. Um, I didn't even notice that the crucifix was there until you pointed it out. <laughs> it's I didn't really either. That was like oh, I'm <laughs> in my dad's office. So it's actually hysterical because um, you think about my life. He has a map of the world. You know, there's the Holy Bible. Actually, it's right there along with a bunch of other crazy books and Jesus. And so, you know, like I'm a product both of my environment and then of the, you know, and then of the experiences that I had after I left. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I couldn't imagine a better setup uh, to what I want to start with is this idea of, you know, what, what was your childhood like when it came to faith and spirituality? And do you see yourself as a recovering church girl? Like what does all of that bring up for you? Yeah, wow, it's multifaceted. Um, so I'll start by saying the whole reason behind Lobster Bird 
is because my two parents are extremely different. My mother is Asian. Uh, she came over from Korea, and my dad is a white dude, <laughs> born and raised in the good old U.S. And so being a, an amalgamation of these two different worlds um, is also spiritually in a sense. But when my mother came over here, uh, she became Christian. My father uh, was Lutheran. So I often refer to us as super Lutherans, although I know <laughs> like you, for example, and many others, there's people who are much, much more like, into the church. But we grew up, you know, going every Sunday, um, youth group on Tuesdays. I worked, you know, like uh, for the nursery to watch the kids during the services. Um, I, we did um, local like community stuff. I learned puppeteering so that we could go, you know, to um, uh, what do you call them? Um, elderly homes and, you know, like various community activities. And we would do Christian puppet shows. So we did a lot of outreach. Um, I also, our church was kind of amazing. I'll say this. <laughs> it was an amazing community. And I'm actually really grateful because they taught me about the importance of spiritual mm -hmm. community and really, really, you know, wonderful, wonderful people, um, caring and incredible. And one of the other interesting things that, uh, they, that our church did was they had this yearly nativity play. So it was an outdoor reenactment of, you know, Jesus's birth and everything. And it was epic. Like it was really well done. They had this whole lighting scenario. And I played every single one of the characters like throughout <laughs> the course of each year of my life. Right? Um, so I was very, very involved and we went a lot. And my father is a very, very devoted Christian still <laughs> case in point bible jesus on both sides um very devoted uh and my mother what i didn't ever know growing up until i took a different path was that you know she i mean she grew up in korea and she did go to buddhist temples i believe actually you know she had buddhist leanings she definitely has buddhist philosophical leanings um and but converted to christianity when she was here and so we just we were up in the church. I mean, it was my life, you know, like that's where a lot of my friends were from and we were very active in it. But that said, I had a really hard time. <laughs> that's why we're having this conversation. Right? Yeah, I was gonna say everything because, you've said, aside from the idea of the different cultural influences, everything else sounds so incredibly familiar. If the doors are open, we're there. Like that's just yeah. the way that it was. Yeah. And it was amazing to have that, right? Like, I'm really great. I want to preface this with I'm very grateful. <laughs> and I love <laughs> that because I, I think that a lot of people assume this idea of, oh, recovering church girls, you must be just trying to bash the church all the time for any reason whatsoever. It's like, no, it's more nuanced than that. But I think I'd be remiss if we didn't address the impact of church culture. So it's just kind of like, we're not even talking about necessarily what to believe from a, a doctrine or a dogma. We're talking about the impact the culture had. So where the community can be such a beautiful thing, sometimes we got the whole double-edged sword thing going on, um, which is a little wink, wink, nod, nod to those of us who did grow up in the church. Uh, so with that being said, you know, what, where did you start to feel the tension of this beautiful community that you're a part of and this kind of all-encompassing world revolving around the Lutheran church and then this internal dissonance. What, what did that look like? What stirred that? Mm. Well, I love the distinction that you just made because um, what I'm referencing at first is the very personal aspect of it, right? The very like community, the, the connection that was there, right? Mm -hmm. And to me, that's what spirituality is right? Mm -hmm. It's our personal connection to the divine. And then there's the other thing, right? Which is all <laughs> the constructs. Right? It's exactly. all religion and the dogma, right? And what we've turned that personal spiritual connection into, right? And in, I think in an effort to honestly understand it, right? And then there's that whole other thing. So I think we'll get to that. <laughs> but, you know, when I was young, I could feel that, you know, I could feel like, um, there's something else going on here. And I had a lot of questions, basically. <laughs> so, I mean, from a very early point, I remember getting into real, what I thought were real, like philosophical arguments with the pastor of our church about certain things. And the one that I always talk about, <laughs> I mean, still to this day, I'm like, someone give me an answer. Uh, I remember sitting, you know, in the room and, and we were 
Um, I, I don't even know, actually, we were talking about something different, but I just had this on my mind for so long. And I said, you know, pastor, I have a question. So if everything in the Bible is real, right? Um, what about, you know, that story about Noah's Ark? Like, I really love that story, all the animals and the boat and the storm. Like, I really love that. Um, but if that were true, you know, what about the fish? Why aren't we overpopulated with fish? Right. And like further, like, is it because like there was like acid rain? So like all of the water creatures died. So they had to take on two of the fish, you know, like just <laughs> kind of wondering about that. And the, and it wasn't necessarily a problem that I was asking questions. But what happened every time I asked a question like that is that it, I was shut down. Mm. Right. So actually, I was like made to leave the room. Right? Mm. <laughs> like, wow. The questions were being refused to not only be answered, but entertained. Right? Mm. Like, and it would be one thing if the answer was something along the lines of it's a metaphor, right? And like, right. Uh, <laughs> and, right? and here's why this is important. But it, like the conversation and the questioning wasn't ever allowed. Mm. And that to me, that would make me really mad, right? Right. <laughs> How can I develop my own personal understanding if I'm not ever allowed to question it? And that's where I think that religion and that whole other thing we're talking about, it becomes something we can't even question or we're wrong. We're doing something right. wrong. And I get a sense from knowing you to the extent that I do. And again, we were talking earlier about like feeling this moment when we met of like, ooh, I want to get to know you more. And we just haven't had a chance until now to do so. But I'm kind of having this vision play out in my head as we're talking where I'm remembering myself as I'd say probably preteen, like eight or nine, having the same kinds of questions, being incredibly... Um, probably precocious, but then also a bit stubborn. And mm -hmm. I've always been told that I'm bossy or, you know, whatever the case might be. So all of those labels that get put on us as young girls who are wanting to dive into the deeper things and wanting to engage and yet having all of these expectations put on us as what that looks like you know, kind of checking all those boxes and getting the gold stars. And as you're, as you're talking, I'm just like, I'm like, Ooh, I have a feeling we would have gotten along really, really well as kids because we would have been like egging each other on of like, yeah. And what about this? And what about that? And we'd end up with all these questions that still are not getting answered. I do believe that. And I exhibited many of those similar qualities. <laughs> you might call <laughs> stubborn, precocious, bossy. I was called all those things that I talk too much right and I, you know what happened or what was attempted to happen I don't I feel this perseverance of spirit between the two of us which is also I felt that in you like the moment we mm -hmm. met you know um, about understanding because you know when it comes to faith you know part of what I saw was problematic is don't ask questions right like accept what we're telling you on mm -hmm. faith but I now have come to believe that the only way to develop a genuine sense of faith is to ask questions, right? Mm -hmm. And experience those answers and it becomes embodied. It becomes an experience that is faith. Otherwise, it's just blind trust, right? right. Like it's, there's no cognizance in it, Absolutely. right? And that's like the whole point. Absolutely. Conscious, right? Well, yeah. And I, I think too, the idea of, you know, if we're going to say that absolute corruption corrupts absolutely, I, mm. I tease that out and have the same thought process or belief system personally when it comes to loyalty. You know, just this idea of if we're going to have this absolute loyalty that doesn't have any definition or structure or allow any sort of questioning or testing uh, and not even testing to say whether it's right or wrong, but just, you know, what do I really believe and what can I anchor into? And can I say, I don't know and be comfortable with it? You know, this mm. whole absolute piece, that's, that's the thing that's really got my attention looking at, you know, again, kind of the cultural aspects of things of just going, you know, I have to wonder who that really benefited. And rarely is it ever the individual person. It's the collective that is wanting to maintain power and push conformity more so than anything else. So that absolute piece, it, that definitely is something that kind of makes my little antenna go up and, and pay closer attention. 
Absolutely. And oh my gosh, I'm so excited about this conversation. See, we would have been those little girls like in the room. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the bush. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one of the things that strikes me about what you're saying is this absolutism, right? Um, and, and the corruption and the power. Mm. This is a huge thing for me right now because one, and, and returning back to lobster for a moment, you know, it was, I was born out of these two seemingly opposing cultures, right? East, East versus West, so to say, right? And coming together. And so it was kind of, I was born into this um, being where I came to understand that I believe it's in that third space, right? That's beyond the labels of this or that. Um, there's this third space that's created when we accept this and accept that and that there is no this and there is no that and there's like both and neither but then there's neither or both right, right. <laughs> and we're, then we're in that space of I don't know which is what you said and to me that space of I don't know is where we actually find God mm, I love I, that so any attempts to label this or that, you know, and, and then to get, you know, extremist about it, or then to get, you know, um, authoritative about it, mm. right? That I think is when that corruption um, seeps in, because we're out of that space, you mm -hmm. know, and it's so interesting. This is a question, this is at the top of my mind all the time right now is about leadership, um, and how to maintain that sense of connection in when we have to start to label things, right, in order to conceptualize them? How do we maintain that connection to God? Because I believe that the leaders that are needed now are the, are the people, right, who understand that space of I don't know and how to be in that space and function in the world at the same time, which is then right. another third space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially for those of us that have been raised to value the absolute or the conformity or, um, you know, any of those types of, of models, the idea of not having the definition or the validation or you know segmenting yourself down to that degree that's a pretty challenging way to learn how to live uh speaking from the experience of the deconstruction and the reconstruction and the deconstruction again uh, you know it's, it's a lot to embrace in your own personal development which still brings us back to this hero's journey and the idea of our true individual spirituality mm -hmm. totally so what happened for you growing up? Like, was there a particular moment that you kind of had this, this thing happen? Or was it a series of being pushed out of the room because your questions weren't being answered? Or what, what happened next for you? You know, this memory came up. So this is fresh. Like, I've never told anyone this. <laughs> so, and here you are on the podcast. <laughs> a secret to just you <laughs> and everyone that's listening. Because like I said, I'm here. I'm back in my childhood home. And what I've been doing here actually is, like, purifying all of my mm -hmm. belongings. I crack up at that word um, because they're objects, right? And we call them belongings as if they give us a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. But I have all of these things, right? And I've literally been, you know, like, Cone Mari, Marine condoing, you know, <laughs> <my entire space. laughs> because I really believe in it. Like I believe, you know, that in that process, there's a real healing that happens because we have such an attachment, right, to things. But it's been interesting because this process has been really connected to my sense of spirituality. And so as I've been purging some of these items, this memory came up. And so when you ask that question, I think this might be it, but it's a very strange one. So I'll say that it was, it was a slow, I mean, and maybe not even a slow build. I think over time I was getting more and more just resistant, you know, to the church. And then it was hard. There was this um, weird tension, right? Because I did love it. Um, and then also at the same time, I knew that wasn't really where I was meant to be. But there was this moment where we went to Virginia Beach and it was for some kind of like Christian young youth conference thing. I remember very little about it except for this moment on the beach. And this goes back to leadership. And I will say that so many of the pastors of our church, I mean, there wasn't, there was mostly one for the longest time. Um, we had some great, you know, and I, I, and again, I love them. So this isn't to say anything bad. And then there was also, you know, youth group leaders, but in, they really allowed me to look at leadership right? And say, hmm, is this exactly the most conducive, actually, you know, to education and to empowerment for each person's, you know, spiritual journey. And one of the leaders that took us to this conference in Virginia Beach, 
I questioned his leadership capacity <laughs> for lots of reasons, but I remember getting really angry because to me, um, the person that was leading, like, personally, like, um, I felt like maybe was not necessarily the person to do that. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of reasons. There were like things happening, um, such as like there was a possible, you know, like relationship happening um, between, <laughs> you know, like one of the youth and this person, you know, like sketchy things that maybe aren't really my, you know, like place to talk about. Um, but I remember being really mad about it. Mm. And there was something that he said. And I just remember being like, you know, actually like you have no right to lead us and we were on the beach <laughs> I had this giant piece of driftwood <laughs> I don't also condone my actions in this moment <laughs> but <laughs> I remember like he was like demanding basically like that I like, respect him and I was like I'm not going to and then like you know words happen again, <laughs> like I feel like as a leader <laughs> Could, for on his end could have been handled with more grace but it just pissed me the fuck off and so mm -hmm. I started chasing him around the beach with this gigantic piece of oh, no. <laughs> and I was literally like I am going to hit you because like this is not okay and I don't know if I ever would have if I could have caught him I don't think that was the point but I think <laughs> like again <laughs> I didn't have the most tact in this situation either but I was I think 16 at the time I was just gonna ask him like how old were you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um and he was older and with a family you know and I just like I did not agree with what um I knew was happening behind the scenes mm -hmm. and I did not agree like with the way we were being told like how to behave right mm -hmm. when someone else was behaving in a way that to me was like immoral and corrupt <laughs> right. so I exploded in that moment and I think that that really was the beginning of the end mm. you know I think I was like nope this is not okay <laughs> this is not the way that this thing needs to be going and I distanced myself from the church so by the time I was a senior in high school um, and I could drive. That was, you know, like what gave me my liberation. I was, and I didn't have to go. I wasn't being forced to go anymore. I stopped going. And it was then that I went through this whole long period of um, kind of like you said, I guess it was the deconstruction. But for me, it seemed pretty immediate. Like once I stopped going to church, I just stopped participating in religion and, you know, almost even stopped any kind of like spiritual thinking. But the last thing I'll say about this is another memory that came up that I think is interesting is that I did used to always say, you know, I'm not religious. I consider myself to be a spiritual person. And I had this conversation with a friend of mine. We were studying abroad in Italy and we were on the train to Amsterdam. And I very specifically remember this conversation where, um, and he was Catholic, uh, Filipino and Catholic. And I was ambiguous and spiritual. <laughs> and he was like, but, you know, but Jesus, and he was like really trying to convince me. And I was like, look, I love you so much. And it's taken me like a long road to get here and just mm. accept, you know, that I feel spiritual. And that's all that it has to be. I feel a connection. And then that's all that it has to be. And I think in that release of it is when I found the, mm. the reconstruction, right? And the next part of the path. Oh, I love that. And I love the idea of just having, you know, almost like the clear lines. I'm a little bit envious, I have to say, because I think that I go into that, you know, peel one layer back, find two more. Mm -hmm. So the, the idea of mixing metaphors of one step forward, two steps back, but then also the peeling of the onion, where, you know, I think for the longest time, I was kind of living in limbo about either what I felt or what I thought, what I believed, but then there's just such a, um, a prevalence of guilt and second guessing myself and feeling disconnected from my own intuition. So it wasn't necessarily disconnecting from divine, but in a way it was because it was that, that divine, that inspiration and um, guidance within myself. So all these different layers. So I have to say, there's a little bit of, you know, a twinge of, of jealousy going through me of like, how did you do that? <laughs> I yeah and I think it's just a weird part of my personality <laughs> where I just was like okay done 
<laughs> right? But I will say that, of course, like, I love that analogy. I use that all the time with the layers of the onion, right? In terms of healing, in terms of getting to the depths of things, right? Because it's never just like a one shot and done. And I can only tell you that it's this returning back now where I can see those kind of clear transitions. Mm. Whereas before, I may have actually thought that I was having a harder time with it. You know what I mean? Because it just, I didn't have that clarity of, you know, hindsight is 20-20. Right. I felt like for that, you know, that memory coming back was important to me because I realized I did maintain some kind of sense. But when I would think about it before, it seemed like there was just this really amorphous, probably like decade long period of just wandering in the desert, you know, (laughs) like, and And looking, I was, you know, I didn't look to find it, I guess, in religion or spirituality, but I found, I was looking to find it in other ways. And Mm -hmm. actually that's how I I did. But it, it, you know, it felt like a a kind of blackout period, which is also, you know, I understand also being in the crisis, you know, in the real like crisis moment. And I've also come to realize that being in that darkness is also a a crisis moment, Mm -hmm. you know, in a sense. Right. And I think too, I see, I see such beauty in the struggle, which I know in some ways sounds like such a platitude and I, I cringe even at that idea. And yet at the same time, there's something in being in the moment and not trying to numb out or fast forward or, you know, just sidestep the struggle of needing to process things. And it's not necessarily to say, you know, that it needs to be done to the extent of every nanosecond needs to be reviewed in deep therapy. I'm a huge fan of therapy. Please don't get me wrong. So it's like using all of the tools available to you in as much as you need them in that moment, but also recognizing that sometimes just going through it is the healing process in and of itself. And I think so often, especially in our culture and society now, we're looking for the fast fix and I feel like this is one of those places where it just doesn't apply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is no fast fix to spiritual connection. <laughs> I found it, we'd all be enlightened and in some other realm, right? And not suffering in samsara. Um, but it, yeah, I think that that actually is where I turn my attention to because, you know, even though I, I, I'm a little sounding like I made it sound easy, but it was hard to leave the church. And it was hard to, you know, um, the path that I then had to go on to explain to, especially my father, but both of my parents, right, that I wasn't participating in that system anymore. I mean, it it broke his heart. Mm -hmm. Um, Still, he talks about it, but now we have a different understanding and a different relationship. But then that took like multiple decades for us to heal. Right. And, and it was very, very hard in a lot of ways. Um, but what I did instead, again, not for better or for worse, not good or bad, but I sought refuge in the like material world in the sense that I went to the world to almost try to solve the problems of mm. the world. Right. Because Christianity to me um, wasn't cut in it. Right. And there's people that are suffering. I mean, in my experience, right. What didn't explain it and didn't help. (laughs) Um, So then what is the answer? You know, so much suffering. So I did study psychology and I studied sociology and I started eventually like doing social action work and started studying like energy healing. And I, and I took up the arts because I thought creativity um, is like, to me, that was the way that I felt that spark of the divine, Mm -hmm. you know, or maybe the first time ever, actually. Mm. Um, and yeah, uh, oh, you said something so provoking. Let me start talking about it. I can't remember what it is now. Um, but I, you know, I turned to this whole other way. Oh, I got it back. <laughs> I turned to the world, right, to see if there I could find what I was looking for. And what ended up happening to me is that I couldn't find it there either. And so what I did was I started to numb out like Mm. seriously um and that is you know a whole other different kind of dark period um but i very much uh, i lived in new york city for a decade Uh, i was bartending a lot of that time um but even before then i realized you know i had a thing particularly with drinking um but in a lot of different ways with a lot of substances and also a lot of activities and i know you're going to resonate with this because i've heard you talk about it working um Mm -hmm. 
hello, my name is Lobster Bird. I am an overwork anonymous. What is it? Overworkaholic? That's yeah, it. I think I think that we should be founding mem- members of that. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So I sought refuge in all these other things, which essentially what I did was I was numbing out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that real connection. Of course, like I'm not guilting or shaming myself anymore for right. like, another long healing process had to take place. And that's why I think when I wrote to you, I said, you know, I am a recovering church girl. I'm not recovered. I don't know if we ever recover from that, you right. know, but I feel in a place now where I can actually um, talk to you about it and look at it, right? As if it was this other really interesting thing that I could kind of <laughs> unpack. And that numbing out, I think, is so pervasive. And, you know, when we talk about the corruption um, in leadership and in the institution of it and in the dogma of it, that's coupled with the, you know, kind of consensus mm-hmm. and the mentality of like, well, yeah, let's just go along with this. And, right. and ultimately, let's numb out, right? Because we can't find our own personal connection. So we'll buy into this thing, which seems it's telling us mm-hmm. it knows what all the answers are, which is a different kind of numbing out. And it's so dangerous. I love that you are making that correlation (laughs) because I think that I agree with you a hundred percent, first of all. Um, And secondly, I think that so often the, the conversation is one that has more of a, I want to convince you to see it my way kind of a bend that there's still this goal of conversion instead of being able to say, Hmm, that's really interesting. Let me sit with that for a second and see what I really think and feel about that concept. Because I think it's too easy to keep the party line and to drive forward a narrative that you don't even actually believe in, but you haven't ever taken the time to discern that for yourself. You know, and I can't tell you how many times there are scripture verses that come back to me, like in ways that I think I'm going, well, that's interesting. Why is that in my head in this moment? But even here right now, it's this idea of recognizing that the purpose of the Bible, the purpose of the discernment is, or the spirit rather, is the discernment. So it's just kind of like, well, huh, isn't that interesting? I wonder if perhaps that's been uh, abused throughout the multiple generations and multiple centuries. And maybe, just maybe, what we're looking at right now in today's culture is never at all the way it was designed to be. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I went on a soapbox it. there. I'm just Where like, oh. I'm glad <laughs> that you said that. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. But so long as, you know, there's this entity that's saying like, we know the answer. If you just do this, you will find salvation. Mm-hmm. Then people don't ever have to develop that discernment for themselves. Right. right. And it keeps them stuck. So it's, I mean, that to me, I don't know if I'm going to go, I'm going to go here. But like when we talk about evil, like in the mm. scriptures, I mean, I feel like those energies are a part of that, right? Like let's keep people stuck to mm-hmm. the point where they can't actually even, right, right, attain their own salvation. That to me is pretty freaking evil. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and in some cases, I do believe it's intentional, like, because there are reasons, you know, like why institutions want power over other mm-hmm. people. And it all comes back to money in the end. You know, but that's the other thing that um, you brought up for me too, is when you were talking about a quick fix, there isn't one, Mm -hmm. but so many people want to believe there's one. And in particular with our uh, culture and our society, we're being, stuff is shoved in our face all the time saying that there is one. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is we just, we, and I'm saying this as the collective, not that, you know, each one of us, each one of us, and there's this awakening happening, which also really excites me. Um, so I, it's in, we're in that liminal space, I think in that transitional, in that third space of it's, it's changing. Um, but, you know, it's still embedded in our systems, in our psyches and in our energy, right, to buy into that next thing without thinking mm-hmm. like, is this the right thing for me, right? Is this of the greatest and highest good? Will this help me, you know, understand my connection with God? Or is this something that I'm doing just to numb out just because right. I think it's going to solve it, right? And that's what keeps like the masses at this level where mm-hmm. actually they can be controlled. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I love the idea of recognizing it for what it is, because I think that so often, especially, you know, playing the gender card for a minute as, as good little Christian girls, 
our role was to agree and to be cute and dainty and, you know, follow all of the things laid out for us, not to be the rabble rousers, not to be the rebels, not to have independent thought, and certainly not to voice those thoughts, even if we did have them in the first place. So, you know, there's this idea of, in some ways, I want to believe the best intentions of all that are involved, whether that's in the current leadership or the original leadership. Like, I want to believe that there are many, many, many leaders in the church culture who have the best of intentions. And if I look at the data and the actual experience, both anecdotal and otherwise, that's getting a harder ideal to hold on to without there being some point of accountability. And I think really that's what all of these conversations are about of saying, you know, we saw this stuff when we were kids and I wonder how much easier it was for us to see it when we were children before the year's worth of indoctrination and, you know, guided behavior. I wonder if maybe they would have listened to us back then. I wonder if there could have been a different outcome. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have to grab the piece of driftwood <laughs> and chase them <laughs> on the beach, <laughs> would we be in a different place? <laughs> I wonder if oh. the reason why you felt like the driftwood was the only way to get attention for the conversation is because you'd been shut down so many other times before that. Exactly. And I totally resonate with the whole good girl thing. And that is something that only very recently have I been able to clear for myself Mm -hmm. um, and really stop engaging in the behaviors that go along with that. Like I will say like last month recently. Uh, it's been a long haul. But the reason is, is because of what you are talking about here, which is that I too, I believe in the inherent goodness of people. Mm. I believe in the inherent goodness of everything on this planet. But the, you know, this thing that's like this veil, right, where everything's all good, I ended up turning a blind eye to the fact that Mm. actually things aren't good and I can feel them and I'm experiencing them and I have no other way to process or no one I can talk to about them. That's why the driftwood, you know, (laughs) came out. And I did talk to my friends about this. I remember I had some also rebellious um, girlfriends who I really appreciate, you know, that we were like, I don't, I I feel like that gave me the part, in part the strength, you know, Mm -hmm. that I have now. Um, But yeah, it was, it was hard. And, um, and now what's happened is I don't think it's helpful to want to believe that everything's all good when clearly it's not, there's mm-hmm. corruption. Right. And so we have to be able, I think, to look at it, um, and then still maintain that integrity of, um, belief in the goodness. Mm. Right. Because I know for me too, I started to, for a brief second, once the veil was lifted and I was like, oh, it's not all good. (laughs) I have all this shame and like blame and all these ways that I've oppressed, you know, like myself, like all the ways that I've shut down. Like this Mm. is actually a profound moment for me. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Because I, and I feel like for a lot of women out there who are coming into being able to speak and express their truth, Mm -hmm. right? Of who they're being and what they've experienced and what they know, you know, and that's the wisdom of being connected to spirit that was not encouraged. Right. You know, and so we're at a place again where it's changing. But in that process, I really, I tried my damnedest and I literally mean damnedest to be like, nope, not happening. Everything's all good. It's all good. (laughs) If I change me, right? Like everything's changing. And I do believe it starts with us, right? But we can't ignore like what's actually happening in the world. That to me is ignorance, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And at the same time, I love the idea of saying it does start with us. So it's, it's again, that, that third space, it's not an either or it's the, and, and that has been like a big theme of my life for years on end is, is finding the, and, you know, from the entrepreneur space, like everybody that would always say, well, your business has to look like this in order to be successful or, you know, any of the rest of it. I'm like, that never resonated with me. And you add in the fact that I've got the single mom thing going and I've got two great teenagers. There was never space in the 
current acceptable model for me to be a really good mom and build my business and travel and buy a house and do the things that, you know, I've really enjoyed. And I, I love what you said earlier about this idea of creativity and creating art of being the connection to the divine and feeling that spark because I am right there with you. And I think that there's something that is beautiful and risky and sometimes scary as hell about embracing and embodying that way of being that's in that space of the and it doesn't have to be one extreme or the other and then we go back to the idea of how much good can we do in a bigger setting if we haven't calibrated ourselves internally first Mm -hmm. absolutely i love the space of the and that you're talking about because that space of the and is that creative state it's the Mm -hmm. state of developing it's the state of creation it's not a thing right it's a it's a state of beingness or a state of movement right um and in that state i think it's it's actually like you said it's very vulnerable and it's very risky to be in that state because the rest of the world wants to put a label on it, right? Mm-hmm. Wants to make it a thing. And I love that you're bringing in entrepreneurship because that's one of my hugest um, passions because just like spirituality, entrepreneurship, completely individual. Like mm-hmm. you, if you're starting a business, that is a creative act, right? And the only creative acts worth paying attention to are those that are unique, right? And born out of a person's like personal connection, I actually believe. Oh, I um, completely agree. With God, you know, like that I think is the alchemy to creative expression. And so, um, yeah, to me, like if there's anything, if there's any one thing, that I want to say, be, embody, or share with anyone, right? It's that we all need to find that unique connection and expression. And that's in everything that we do. And if, especially if we find it in everything we do, especially even when it's raising your kids, right? Especially if it's in making a sandwich, Mm -hmm. right? That to me is God. Because one of the things that um, I got from the Bible... And I, I went and researched this a while ago. Maybe you can correct me because I don't know exact scriptures anymore. But um, I feel, what I, when I did my research, it's kind of threaded throughout, um, is that God is actually found in everything, mm-hmm. right? Look under this rock and you'll find me there, he said, right? In this piece of wood. Um, and that is what I, that's what I believe. And so the only way that we can actually find God in everything, including us, right? If we're included in the scope of all things. <laughs> is to understand that unique connection. And as far as entrepreneurship goes, you know, um, there's a lot that's out there that's going to tell you that there's a way to do things and then you'll be successful. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly the same problematic thinking <laughs> that I found in the church, right? You just yes, listen to what we say and you'll be safe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did it work? Did it work for me? You know, my path is so what I call multi-prismatic, which I think is yours too, right? We shine our light in a million different directions. We have a million different passions and interests, right? It helps to laser beam and focus that light, right? Really strongly on things, but not like just this one thing and not this one way. Like, and that to me is the antithesis of God, actually. God's found in everything, in the chaos of the universe right? (laughs) Is where you find God. And it's in our perception of that and how we bring that all together, right? In our own personal perception of it is that actually makes it an experience that we can have and that we can then articulate. Uh, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, that everything. Yes, absolutely. And I think that there's something for me, I just want to name in this moment of just thank you you have said everything that I have thought and felt and railed against in the entrepreneurial world for the last like 10 years. And just, you know, there's something about that round peg in the square hole or whichever way that goes, square peg in the round hole, that probably makes more sense. (laughs) But just, you know, when you're the, the one that has enough of the sense of individuality that 
you recognize on a cognitive level that this doesn't need to go this way, and yet you still have this desire as a human being to connect and fit in and be safe and be accepted, you know, there's that dissonance there. It doesn't start or stop in any one of these aspects of our lives. So to be able to take a step back and look you know, holistically, look collectively at all the different areas that we show up in our lives and evaluate, am I doing this from a place of true connection internally, or am I doing it because I want to get some external validation or, you know, again, the gold stars, I keep coming back to the gold stars because they're like always there. <laughs> so they I just are always there. You. Yeah. And even though, you know, I built a very successful business taking people on pilgrimage, right? An odd, odd thing, right? Uh, created this amazing business. But I will tell you that I did it, um, you know, I did have mentors who I so appreciate, right? I, I did all the things, I did all the practical things, right? And learned all the ways to create a sustainable business. But really, like, I can credit any kind of material success that I had to taking what was given to me, the gift of, you know, those teachings and then making them my own, mm -hmm. which is what I really, you know, hope to give to other people, right? Um, and because I think really like that is the only way that mm -hmm. we'll be successful in business right. too, right? Is understanding it through our own lens. And, you know, and the other thing to me too is really it's being willing to go on that journey, which is why I do it through pilgrimage, you know, like Jesus had to have his 40 days in the desert, like the Buddha, you know, like wandered around you know, like in the world before he sat under a tree. You know, I think there is some, it, you know, it's interesting when you talk about um, deconstruction and reconstruction, because actually I studied, um, theater and I studied postmodern theater, which is all about the deconstruction mm. uh, and reconstruction process. And I think that the pilgrimage, I think that, you know, like we go into the society, we become a member of the church, we learn all the teachings, right? We do all that stuff so that eventually, hopefully, we can go and take, you know, like what was given to us, this tremendous gift, whether it seemed like one at the time or not, right? whether it created all this stuff or not, right? And go and take that um, on this epic journey where we can get some space with it, mm -hmm. right? And then understand that connection for ourselves. And that to me is a deconstruction process, right? And then bring it all together. And for me, that's what pilgrimage did. Um, and that's why I bring other people, but you know, through doing all that, like I have to say that the gold stars, it was like as if, you know, just like in cleaning my room, it's as if I found this like hidden envelope, you know, like with <laughs> gold stars that I never saw. And when I was on this journey, right, which was all about what I'm saying to you, it's about, you know, sovereignty and empowerment and individual expression and connection. Even still going along the path, I found these hidden gold stars that I was after, mm. you know, and so, you know, that to me, this has been a huge lesson over the past couple of years. Also, you know, like with success, because I experienced firsthand that corruption, mm -hmm. right, that can come in and really like influence. And I'm like saying in a really like vulnerable way, like I don't really necessarily like want to like air my laundry out, but I have to do it, you know, because I found that actually equally dangerous, right, is um, understanding our own connection and then like feeling power. Mm -hmm. Right. Or then like, oh, and I and like and, and then it becomes a thing again. Right. The space of the end and we leave the space of the third. <laughs> right. We leave the space of God. And so, yeah, like I found hidden gold stars. There's still I'm sure there's another sticker packet somewhere like hiding <laughs> in my psyche. <laughs> right. I love it. But I wanted to be successful, right? And I wanted to be successful in all the ways that, you know, like that people tell you to. And it took me becoming that way to realize like, oh, danger, right? Mm -hmm. I'm now doing this for reasons, not, and not solely, right? Like, because we're like evolving and changing. But now, like you said, that discernment, I think as we continue along the path and the journey, it becomes easier and easier, right? Mm -hmm. So when it starts to creep in or something starts to like not feel quite right. Like we know what that is. And I'm like tearing up the little gold stars <laughs> into the bin because I find what is so much more important than that is being in that space that we were talking about. Like, I love, like, thank you for creating this space. I love being in this space with you. Like, I think if there's nothing else 
I do with my life ever again, to be able to have this conversation, right? And that this might reach people mm-hmm. who I, you know, I think the answer to that corruption, the answer to what I see as a crisis in leadership, I think the answer to all of that is us, as we're coming to our understanding of this, being able to share it with Absolutely. one another. So Absolutely. Thank you for creating this too. Oh my goodness. One divine spark. Yeah, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just like a little humbled pile of no words right now. <laughs> so as I'm like tripping over myself here, I, uh, yeah, oh my goodness. I'm so grateful to be able to engage in these kinds of conversations and to open the space even wider to, you know, kind of that idea of, of extend the table. I'm tired of the fences. So let's just use that same wood and, and build the table out further and longer and engage and, and be here in the process with people. Um, and so I'm just, I'm grateful for that. And I would love, love, love to talk more about the process of pilgrimage and the power of travel, because that's something that I will constantly ascribe to. Uh, And I'm thinking that we should do that in our bonus segment because we've already been going and going and going. Um, So if that sounds good with you, and if anybody wants to join us, all you have to do is join the mailing list and then you get access to all these bonus features. So uh, with that being said, Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's so important. It's so important. So thank you. This, I feel like, um, this is like your like kind of evangelical work, but like not in a way, right? Like where it's going out and trying to convince people, like you said, Mm -hmm. right? But creating the space to have these conversations so people can find it on their own and truly, truly connect. So thank you for inviting me into your space. I'm so happy that you're here. <laughs> like those of you who are listening, if this episode has resonated with you, uh, I would just ask that you share it with somebody else that you can have that same conversation with. Because at the end of the day, that's what this is all about. It's about the conversation. It's the connection. It's finding ourselves in each other's stories and being able to embrace that discernment ourselves and really discovering what that means to have an individual spiritual journey doing it both individually and collectively and sharing that experience together. So again, thank you so much, you guys. I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.